Hello and welcome to Ink Tank, an enthusiast podcast for animated feature films. I'm Kyla, and today with me I have Hannah and Marty. Hello! Hi! We are not Lily. Yeah, um... Surprise! Yeah! yeah we're April not, Fools! We are not blue, but we are here for you. We're blue da ba dee da da No! Yes! Ho! Yeah. Ho! For, for today... We uh did a whole switcheroo. Yeah, so Lily's still here for you. Uh, she's just on our podcast, Netflix. No, no, no. where is she? They all everywhere. Around. Lily's somewhere. You gotta find. Lily's everywhere. Lily's all. Lily's we, in your heart. Everyone switch podcasts around on our network, so no one knows where anyone is. If you want to go look for your regular hosts, you're gonna have to go look around for them. You have uh, to listen yes. to all of our podcasts because they're all wonderful. <laughs> they yes. are. You get to, yeah. Yeah, so for those who don't know us, we're the hosts of Netflix and Kill, another Lunar Light podcast that specializes in spooky movies. Um, but we also happen to be very big fans of animated films as well. Mm-hmm. So today we're here to talk about a spooky animated film, mm-hmm. which yeah. is Coraline. Mm, Coraline. Making up a song about Coraline. Mm, that song slaps. It does. It does. <laughs> Written by They Might Be Giants as well. Oh so. my goodness. This, this, uh, okay, I know we're here to talk about animation and filmmaking, and that's wonderful, but I also just want to say the music, my lord, the music in this movie is transcendent. Yeah. Your voice the... probably went just like everywhere. <laughs> you went from microphone to not microphone. Well, so does the music in this movie. It goes yeah. everywhere. It does go it everywhere. It creates the perfect atmosphere for this beautiful animation and these wonderful expressive characters. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. Like, it's, it's sad that this isn't our podcast, but this is my favorite film we've watched so far for recording a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, same. I mean... I don't know. I'm a fan of Hellraiser yes. for, like, other reasons, but I think Coraline's definitely the best movie we've watched so far. Yeah, yeah we should probably explain where we're from. Oh, I said Netflix and Kill. Yes, when we talk about horror movies for the most part, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. This is... Yeah. I think we explained that. Yeah. This is, uh... <laughs> yeah, I think so. But... Sorry, I was thinking about the music. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. No, the soundtrack is bomb. Um, I actually got Marty the, uh, there's a company that makes records of movie soundtracks. Yeah, Mondo. So I got Marty the Coraline soundtrack. Mm -hmm. On vinyl. Yes. Yes. Yeah, cool. Um, it's, if you look at it, it, like, the middle is a button, you know, where you put the, the, put it on the spindle. It, it's a button. It's cool. I love it. And yes. The music is great, and it sounds amazing on the record player. Mm-hmm. So, good. <laughs> yeah, this is um, not necessarily a traditional animated film that we think of, like, with the hand-drawn animation or computer CGI, although I'm sure there is probably an element of some of these, but it's stop motion. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It's stop motion. It's, it, well, actually, this and Paranorman are, like, the two movies that actually got me into stop motion as, like, a career option. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I kind of really aspire to, like, work for Leica. I love them a lot, and uh, I, I do a lot of... I, like, got into, like, 3D, like, sculpture and uh, animation and character design, and I feel like, like... I, I love all of those things, and I feel like if I ended up working for Leica, then I would be fulfilling, like, all of my interests at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. it's like, it's like my dream job to work for them. Yeah. We should probably talk about Leica for a second here, the company that helped make Coraline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's... Um, I think most of you, I'm sure most of the listeners of this have seen at least one of their movies, so they have four movies, soon to be five. Mm-hmm. So Coraline was their first, mm-hmm. and then they did Paranorman, The Box Trolls, and Kubo and the Two Strings, which is mm-hmm. one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. And then the new one coming out is Missing Link, which is, like, about Bigfoot. And super he, cute. Mm-hmm. He wears a suit, and it's so adorable. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to see it. I'm, like, super excited. And 
I remember the first time I learned what stop motion animation actually was. Like, I grew up watching Wallace and Gromit and uh, Nightmare Before Christmas and all that, but I didn't know exactly how much intricate work it takes to make a stop motion animated film. Like, I watched the behind the scenes of Wallace and Gromit versus the Were Rabbit, and I saw them move each like figure that they'd make they'd make these like little sets and models and these little characters and they'd move them one piece at a time and I just lost my dang mind yeah it's so much work and like can you imagine how many months it would take just to film like one scene and the thing about Coraline is how creative they get with the imagery they take like there's trapeze artists there's these dancing mice there's these um like little uh dragon like flowers that like roll her up and try to capture her the snapdragon the The color palette for the film is really cool too because it changes depending on if she's in the real world or if she's in the dream world and then uh you know towards the end of the film when things start to go sinister, they make sure to really change the color palette for that as well. So, I like that detail. Yeah, and the real world is gray and drab Mm -hmm. at the beginning, and then by the end, after, spoilers, after she has learned her lesson, um, and, you know, learned that the the real Coraline was the the Coraline that we learned along the way. Well, that makes we're no already sense. getting into spoiler territory, and we haven't even, like, talked about, like, what the movie's about, so... <laughs> Do you want to give a description? Uh, okay, so, I've seen this movie several times. I can quote it pretty much by heart by now. Um, so, it's about this girl who uh, moves to Oregon from Michigan because her parents have, like, new jobs as plant journalists. Um, so, like, they write books and, like, websites about, like, tending to gardens and stuff, but they, like, hate dirt, and so, like, that's one of the reasons why they won't let Coraline go outside at the beginning, um, but Coraline just, like, really wants to go out and explore and have fun, and, like, it's raining all the time, so she gets stuck in her house, and, um, the one time she does go out, she meets this kid named YB. And she thinks he's weird, and he's got a grandma who, uh, is, like, really old and kind of, like, really protective of him. And she used to live in Coraline's house and kind of yeah. warns YB to stay away because something sinister goes down there. Yeah. Um, so, and, and then stuff, sinister stuff does go down. Um, like... So, she's stuck in her house because it's raining, and so she convinces her mom to, like, unlock this really tiny door in her living room, and they open it, and there's nothing there, but later on, uh, they open it again, and there's this tunnel that leads to another world, It's like, how does she describe it to YB? It's like our world, but everything's better. Yeah. But it's all a trap. And that's not spoilers, because that's in the trailer. I remember seeing that trailer for, like, every animated movie in Uh 2009. Um, There's that guy that would go, Coraline. (laughs) (laughs) Coraline. (laughs) Yes. um, Yeah, so she meets her other mother, mm. which is like her mom, but she has buttons for eyes. At first she seems so much warmer than her other mother well her real mother her real her other mother seems more warm and kind than her regular mother who is always like working and telling Coraline to kind of leave her alone and just take care of herself and not letting Coraline do whatever she wants whereas the other mother encourages Coraline to go out and do whatever she wants and cooks food for her and is always only thinking of Coraline and it just seems like this perfect little paradise don't it Mm. But, like, every time she visits, there's something different about the other mother. Like, she's, like, she gets a little taller and a little more angular, and she stops wearing the same clothes that the real mother does. And, like, after a while, there comes a point where she just, like, totally transforms into the spider lady and, like, locks her in a mirror. And it's crazy. It's so crazy, y'all. 
It's quite bonkers. It is quite bonkers. But, like, in the best way. Mm-hmm. All oh the imagery and the story is so creative and gorgeous. There's not a frame of this movie that I'm not in awe of just every single decision that goes into composing the frame and the story. It's like every every part of it is like a little painting, and I love it so much, and I want to work for them so bad. (laughs) Well, we were talking, too, um, while we watched it, about just the little tiny details that Mm -hmm. they put in it. So, like, there's a scene where... um, there's a little bump in a rug in the house, and Coraline, like, steps on it, and then a little bump moves, and so the rug won't ever, like, smooth out. Mm-hmm. Just, like, who thinks to put something like that in a movie? But it is a detail that happens in everyday life. Mm-hmm. Or, like, um, when she first gets to the other world, she's still a little bit unsure about it, mm-hmm. and you can tell she's kind of skeptical. Um, and there's a scene where, I think it was the other father makes a joke, and she laughs, and then she, like, kind of covers her mouth, like, she almost feels guilty for laughing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that just, I loved that moment, because it felt so real to how a child her age would act in mm-hmm. a moment like that. It's insane how much detail there is. It's so, oh, it's so beautiful, because usually, like, I'm I'm a student who's, like, writing films and stuff, and usually I just think, like, okay, what are the big plot points we can make here? Well, how are we going to get from point A to point B? But... These people think, oh, well, what little journeys can we have along the way that maybe aren't all... I mean, it always serves the story because it's, like, informing Caroline... Uh, Coraline, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you pulled a neighbor. I pulled a neighbor. I'm just as bad as uh, Mr. Mr. B. <laughs> well, I'm Miss B. Hello. That's my last name. Boyens. Ba-ba-boo. I'm anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh... But, like, yeah, because... Life isn't just, like, point A to point B. Life is this meandering journey where you just kind of notice yourself doing these things and you don't really know why. But you, in this movie, they know why. It's because you're a person and usually you're doing these little things because you're unsatisfied or because you're trying to distract yourself or because life is just got these quirky little moments that you can't describe. My favorite one that I'm like, I have no idea why this is in the film, but I love it so much, is when she's in the store with her mother and you see these two kids playing in the background and they, like, quote, my king... They quote Richard III where they're like, my kingdom for a horse! And yeah. they, just, they just ride by on this, like, wheelchair, like, the, a wheelie chair. It's like a stool with it's, wheels. Yes, a stool... With wheels, and they do you, they ride past Coraline, and then you just hear a crash in the background, and I think that's it, and that's their <laughs> scene, and I'm just like, who thinks to put such a cute little detail that just like fits in this world so perfectly? Mm-hmm. It's so charming. I I love that part, and like I don't know about y'all, but like every time I see that part, I think, oh, those kids are gonna end up going to Coraline's school, and she's gonna be good friends with them. Yeah. <laughs> <I think so. laughs> Yeah, because this movie isn't cynical about everyone but Coraline. She's not like this protagonist where she's like, she's the only person who gets it. She's the only person in the world who is, like, special and has this perspective in the world. She is special, and she does have a very unique perspective on the world, but it's not trying to frame the world against Coraline. It's trying to frame it as Coraline needs to learn what she has and what she can do and how she can interact with her own parents and her own life in this new situation. Yeah. yeah. Well, I like how the film allows her to be wrong, mm-hmm. too. I mean, you know, there are moments, I mean, she's wrong about the other world. At first she likes it and wants to stay there, and then slowly she realizes, oh, this actually isn't a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think by the end she realizes she was wrong about YB, because she kind of hates him at first. Mm-hmm. And then they come around and form a nice friendship. Yeah, he's like, kind of he's kind of weird he's he's a goth king let's just be <laughs> yeah. let's be real yb is our goth king um but, <laughs> but um he's like kind of kind of weird and she doesn't know how to like talk to him because like he he's just really kind of awkward and like very sciency in the way he talks mm-hmm. and um well, like he loves he loves that cat and uh like he wears he wears this mask with like a magnifying glass in it and it like turns and it's really cool but it's like got a skull uh painted on it and you can just tell he's just like this weird little goth kid who loves slugs <laughs> yeah i think it's 
he has a mask because he rides a bike everywhere, and I think it's kind of it. Lo- it acts sort of like a helmet. Yeah. Um, but the thing he has these three lights on it, which I think reminds me. It might not be it of like those old cameras where they'd have like one lens for like oh. viewing, one lens for the light, and then a third lens that I don't know what it does. But it looks it looks to me almost like he took that off of a camera and put it onto a mask to kind of look really cool. Mm-hmm. And I just I like that. Yeah. I just again so much detail that informs so much of who he is. Like like he said he's a goth king. He's <laughs> extra. He finds this stray black cat and he's like this is a wild cat. He's my cat. <laughs> and then he like brings Coraline a doll. That his grandma had that looks exactly like her. And I think the film says, like, that's how the other mother found Coraline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The doll um, is, like, her spy. The, mm-hmm. like, so the other mother has the doll. And anytime someone new that's a child moves into the house, then, like, I think the other mother knows about it. But I'm not totally sure why. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's ever really explained except that she can see everything through the doll's eyes. Well, but the doll was locked away in a trunk, and why we got it out when Coraline gets the doll. Mm-hmm. So, that's one thing that I never, like, really understood, and it's kind of a plot hole. Well, but for I, me, it, it, this film is working on fairy tale logic. Yeah. Like, I think... Like, the fact that this doll has interacted in Coraline's life, like, I'm I'm not gonna say that's a plot hole. Yeah. Because, like, it doesn't, like, the story doesn't fall apart when she realized the doll was in the trunk sometimes. Yeah. I'm just like, it's a magic doll. Yeah, well, also yeah. the other mother kind of has, like, supernatural abilities of some that's sort. That's true. Mm-hmm. It, it could just be the fact that because um, she's, like, tied to the house, she, like, can sense the presence of a child. Mm. But, yeah. And I think this film also... Like, it gets the information across that it needs to to show, like, yeah, the other mother had a way of seeing her life. And, like, I think that's that's enough for me. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't fall apart once I realize yeah. it's not there all the time because mm-hmm. I think the the effect is still very much present. I guess, I guess I didn't mean to say it was a plot hole. It was just it wasn't specified. But, yeah, there could be several reasons why it why that works and that are given in context with the film is just not very clear unless you're like digging through details yeah i guess again i think i love about this and neil gaiman who is the man who wrote the original book that this film is based on um is he creates this surreal fairy tale world that is extremely hard to do like we think of fairy tales like as either disney where everything seems to be very safe, but the thing that Disney does that occasionally is brilliant is when it mixes this blend of macabre and fear with also charm and whimsy and magical re- magical realities that, like Maleficent, I always think of the scene when the prince gets kidnapped and he has to escape from Maleficent's, Maleficent's castle. Mm-hmm. Like, there's this dread that is innately childlike when he's in there. Like, I can only really see that scene through the lens of a child because it's this castle and there's this green fire and there's these little trolls and gremlins and there's this witch and it's it's terrifying but like it's also just so it appeals to the child in me that kind of is watching this thing and I feel like I'm 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 getting away with it or I feel like I'm the prince trying to get through it or I'm participating and Coraline does that extremely well by creating a surreal reality that isn't too horrifying for children Mm -hmm. because like again we have a strong protagonist who like we all believe in and um we think she can get through this Mm -hmm. and we relate to Coraline and it's got enough whimsy and magic and charm that like you're not too terrified all the time I mean you could be like it depends on how you were raised and how you grew up and how you deal with stuff like that but like it's just such a unique childlike sense of dread that they create with the other mother once mm-hmm. the universe starts to go a little bit wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this is one of the, um, I guess, like, my first encounters with anything scary. And I was kind of old when I read this, or at least, like, older than most people are, I think, when they first come across Coraline. So, um, I first read the book and saw the movie when I was 13, and I had a school project where we had to read a book 
uh, that had a movie adaptation of it and compare the book and movie. Um, so I had never read Coraline or seen the movie, so I did both, and, um, you know, obviously I really love both the book and the movie. They're different, but I think the movie's a really, really good adaptation of mm -hmm. the spirit of the book. Uh, but that was one of the things I really liked about it, is Coraline as a main character. And like you said, that's kind of what got me through this, is, um, I just remember really admiring her bravery, and kept thinking, what would I do if I were in her situation? You know, would I be brave enough? to save my parents, I don't know, but you buy that, you buy into her bravery, even though she's still scared, um, and that's really cool. She's a really, really great protagonist. That was the thing that I always sometimes struggle with when we're doing Netflix and Kill, is sometimes the protagonists are so darn unrelatable. Mm -hmm. They're the, They're clearly just these people who are meant to go through these scenarios and just be props for the writer to throw things at. Um, but Coraline's... She is that, but she's a fully realized creation. You can tell they took a lot of time and care into how she's represented and how she mm -hmm. how she acts in these scenarios. And it's just... Oh, I love, I love Coraline. I love um, her. I want to go back to, like, a thing you said about how, like, it's like a child's... Chi like, a, a child's sense of dread in some of the scenes. Mm -hmm. I... When I watched Coraline, I loved the movie. Like, when I first watched it, I was, like, 12. And I had read the book beforehand because, like, I wanted to see the movie. And I I think it just came out and was, like, in that middle phase between theater and, like, DVD release-ish. And so, like, I read the book then. And then when it came out on DVD, my mom rented it on Netflix, like, through the DVD version when they still had that. Oh, man, that's old school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's how you do it. I yeah, mm -hmm. I remember that. Yeah, but, um, so, like, I was sitting in my living room watching it when I was, like, 12, and my mom's like, this is a scary movie, and I'm like, what? No, it's not. Mm -hmm. And, like, I thought it was funny because, like, I had that, like, full experience, and then, like, several years later I read, like, an interview with Neil Gaiman about it, about it and he said, like, yeah, it's, like, kids, like, love Coraline. They, like, love how, like, whimsical and, like, fantastical it is. Uh, but, like, parents are fucking terrified of it. Oh. Parents are terrified of it. Yeah. Um, um, note to the editor, we're sorry. We're trying very hard sorry. not to swear. So yes. We're, sorry, we're used to swearing. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I didn't swear. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't do a swear. But yeah, I think what I'm trying to get with the, the sense of childlike fear as opposed to just plain old fear is that there's a sense of curiosity when it comes to childlike fear. Because childlike fear never goes away. There's mm -hmm. always a part of us that's going to be, like, fascinated with the things we love as a child. Like, we're always going to want the good guys to win, and we're always going to want, like, the right to happen, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Um and, like, there's going to be, at least for me, there's always going to be a part of you that's scared of the dark because you don't know what's in there. And there's always going to be a part of you that's scared of a creaky door because you don't know what's in there. But the part that comes in where it's more childlike is a child will imagine why they're scared of the dark. Mm -hmm. Whereas an adult, one will try to rationalize why they shouldn't be. And then the thing I love about Coraline is it takes that step. is like, okay, so I've imagined what's in the dark. Now how can I fight it? Because I remember when I was a kid, I used to think there was a monster in my closet, and I, I had accepted that as a reality. So I wasn't trying to convince myself, okay, there's nothing in there. It was more, okay, there's something in there. Now what am I going to do about it? And I'd go in there every night with a stick I'd find in my yard <laughs> and just close my eyes and open the door and, like, looking over my shoulder, just whack around in my closet <laughs> just to try and make sure he knew who was oh boss. I love that, though. That's wonderful. See, this is... This is why spooky movies are good for kids. Yeah. I mean, you know, stuff like Coraline, not like, you know, don't go show your kid, like, oh my on goodness. Elm Street we or went something. to see Us, <gasps> and uh, there were, like, small little children. Yeah, there, there, was, there was a toddler. baby crying I was... in the middle of it, and, like, it was, like, during one of the scary parts, and it was like, why would you bring your child to this? Yeah, that movie gave me nightmares. Yeah. yeah. I would, like, literally the, the night of, like... I was literally sitting in my room, 
and like I had cracked the door open because I wanted like a little bit of the light in and I but I can't sleep if I have like my lamp on so like I cracked my door and then that was a mistake <laughs> because <laughs> I kept imagining someone was going to walk through my door with a pair of scissors. Oh, <laughs> yikes. But, like, uh, I was sitting I was sitting awake, like, unblinking, like, sitting there, like, strapped in my blanket, curled up, like, in, a, in the tightest ball imaginable. I'm like, there's nothing going to come through the door. There's nothing going to come through the door. <laughs> but anyway, um, I think Coraline... Like, it is spooky. It's definitely ooky spooky. Mm-hmm. But, like, again, I think the fact that the protagonist is so strong and independent makes it okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I, what, there's an old saying, I think, well, where... there's the Don Bluth philosophy where he says, you can show a kid anything as long as it has a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who don't know, Don Bluth is the director of Lane Before Time, Secret of Nim, An American Tale... Did he do uh, Balto too, or no? No. Okay. He did Anastasia. Um, he did the, Anastasia. The, the science mice... The Secret of Nim? Yeah, you said that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Science Mice. The science I was mice. thinking the Great Mouse Honestly, Detective. <laughs> I love him too. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, but anyways, uh, that's a nice Don Blue saying that I really like. Because I think mm-hmm. in a way it's kind of true. I mean, it was true for me as a kid anyways. Because mm-hmm. I watched some really scary things mm-hmm. as a kid. Yeah. And like, I was pretty scared of everything. Um, but... For some reason, I would be okay with, like, watching animated movies that had really scary stuff in it because mm-hmm. I knew that it would probably have a happy ending. Well, there's mm-hmm. a reason why I think we all love Disney villains so much and we have such great nostalgia for them is because they create this great sense of spookiness and fun. Yeah. Like, I think Coraline does that really well, too. It's, like, it's spooky, but it's fun spooky. It's like mm-hmm. a, a haunted house, but, like, instead of jump scares, you're just in this really cool, surreal environment, and you're like, I got a puzzle I got to solve. Yeah. yeah. What's a good way to there word was, it? Um, again, with the, like, the childlike dread thing. Like, you were, you were describing the, um, like, the scene in... Uh, Sleeping Beauty, where, like, the prince is, like, trying to escape, like, Maleficent's castle, and, like, there's, like, this, like, you know, like, real tense, like, fantasy setting, and, like, you, like, you can get really sucked into it because of, like, this, the setting and, like, the, the, just the way it's presented, um, and I think the last, Disney movie to do that for me was The Princess and the Frog. Because, like, you were you were describing that, I was thinking, Dr. Facilier. Yeah, Dr. Facilier. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, um, same voice <gasps> actor, David. David. Oh, oh yes. he voices the cat yes. in um, Coraline, who is kind of like a, a guide for Coraline, yes. because he, he shows up in the real world kind of as a, almost like a warning. Um, to her like there's danger coming and then he can speak with the mellowy goodness that is Keith David's oh. gravitas voice I'm sorry that's this so wonderful, good beautiful deep voice yeah and yes what is it like he he's a sassy little cat too well, like, oh, sassy okay cat. all cats are sassy though yeah but this one gets to say it yeah no that's true <laughs> cause like Coraline's like well what are you doing here you I, I don't know the line wuss puss wuss puss and he's like I am not a wuss puss or something like yeah. that well she calls him wuss puss in like the real world and then he comes back he's like oh but you thought I was just a wuss puss There's and a, she goes Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a great scene where it it is kind of like laying out exposition, but like the thing that I love about it is people always either do exposition in really dumb ways where they have something very like ooh, naughty happening while somebody's giving exposition to keep the audience's attention. Frankly, I lose attention. I'm like, I'm bored now. <laughs> Let's get just I'd rather you just sit there and give me exposition or they do what Coraline did, which is they create amazing visual set pieces and really cryptic ways of delivering exposition. Because mm-hmm. while this cat is like telling Coraline all about the mother's plan and like how everything has unraveled up until this point, he's like popping his head into a tree and it's popping out of another tree and he's like doing little flips and chasing mice and like oh, it's so cool. The scene where she's trying to run away, so she just walks away from the house. Mm-hmm. And everything turns white, 
and then like two seconds later she's back at the house because she walked around the world and he, he's like explaining to her you know you know how do you how do you walk away from something and still come back to it he goes you walk around the world and she goes small world and I think about that all the time oh. because like I love that scene and I love that line so much it's, it's just the so immediate ex- it's like the immediate acceptance of the the world that they're surrounded in because like that's one thing I always like get kind of bogged down by and I do it too when like you're in a fantasy world and everyone's trying to explain it and they, some people like do it very literally whereas like in my favorite fantasy which is just like fairy tale or something they just they just explain it with this very simple language in this very poetic poetic way it's like um like you walked around the world and Coraline just immediately accepts it and goes well it must be a small world it's like working within the logic of this fantastical circumstance mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. I love that about magical realism it's just like oh no my neighbor's flying away and someone's like well you better time to a rock then <laughs> <laughs> yeah but the, the the dialogue in this movie is seriously so good. There's there's also there's a quote from another scene with the cat that I really love, where Coraline's like, "So what does the other mother want?" And he goes, "Something to love or something to eat." It's hard to tell. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. It gets gracious. me every time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The thing is also there is. I, I want to say that there is nothing quite like Coraline. The closest I can think of is kind of early-ish Tim Burton works because mm-hmm. the director of this movie... Henry Selleck. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, did Nightmare Before Christmas, which was based on a story by Tim Burton. But, like, I'm going to say he's a better director. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, he is. Honestly, I think that... I mean, as much as, like, some of Burton's work is visually interesting, I think Coraline... I don't know, is more effective in its visuals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think something Tim Burton doesn't do as much as this film is doesn't capture the mundane, but the charmingness of the mundane. Like mm-hmm. the scene where Coraline's stepping on the rug and she's like trying to smooth it out, but she just can't. Or the scene where she's messing around in the shower and like instead of going out of the faucet, it goes out of the shower head and she like goes, ah! Yeah. Like that's just such a human thing and it's not like. I think Tim Burton likes to escape the mundane by creating something surreal, and that's really cool, but, like, this director has a great grasp of, like, what the mundane is and mm-hmm. what the surreal is and how to kind of mesh the two. My thing with Tim Burton is that his mundane, yeah, it is always really fantastical, but it's always, like, the exact opposite of the rest of everything. Mm-hmm. And, like... I find that really tiring. I think the closest I can think of that Tim Burton comes to mastering this um, balance of the mundane and the fantastical is in Beetlejuice when they're dead mm-hmm. and eventually they just kind of accept it. And, like, yeah. there's a great line where she's like, uh, "Why? where are all the other dead people? And he's like, maybe this is heaven. And she's like, if it were heaven, there wouldn't be dust over everything. And I'm like, that's that's cute. That's, mm-hmm. like, creating this this fun little mundane within this fantastical circumstance. And I just yeah. love that. And this film is just... Chop full of it. Yeah. There's parts, though, in other Tim Burton films, like like Edward Scissorhands or in, like, The Nightmare Before Christmas, where, where things that are, like, more widely accepted by society are more, like, extremely prep, preppy. You know, do you do you guys understand what I'm trying to say? I, I see what you mean, yeah. There is a very much of us and them yeah. in Tim Burton films. Like, I'm sorry, the first thing I could think of when he said preppy was my immortal. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm sorry, but, like, that's that's what I think of. No, he, I like, know what you mean, he like He, like, dimorphizes, like, the cultures in his films to the point where, like, it's like, you know, Team Christmas Town or... Team Halloween Town, you know? Like, there's no in-between in his films, and there's no... Well, to be fair, Nightmare Before Christmas is Henry Sucks' film, and the thing I like about it is, well, yeah, is that film like, in the end like does... A, it does merge the two. It, it does, but, like, the... The the dimorphism, though, is, like, apparent in a lot of, like, Tim Burton films, like, whether or not his... Like, he's directing or producing it, and, like... It's it's just like kind of a staple of his work where like 
it it just gets kind of cheesy after a while. Well, don't get me wrong. I, I this isn't trying to be me crapping on Tim Burton because I do oh, like his work. Yeah. This is just me pointing out that there are similarities between kind I of mean, the uh, the the oh, frig, frigidu. What's the the name German uh, expressionist? Um, yes, uh, German, German expressionism. expressionism. Yes, like that is present in Tim Burton's film. Is mm-hmm. also very influential in Coraline yeah, as well. Yes, it is. Um, I'm I'm just re-explaining myself over and over again. But like I, I love Tim Burton's films a lot. But like, there's just a very specific style with him when it comes to things that aren't spooky and. It it doesn't feel like it comes from a place of like love when it's not a spooky thing, you know. Where it's like it's like it's just kind of like oh, this is what it you know what this culture is because like that's what's presented to me, and it's like there's no exploration of a lot of it. Well, I kind of see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna bring it back around to Coraline. Sorry. Though, well, no, one thing that I really like about this movie, um, that I was actually, like, kind of wanting to talk about, mm-hmm. is, um, that has such great sympathy for its characters. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, you're talking about, like, okay, in some other movies, there's, like, a very much us and them mentality, but, like, Coraline is very sympathetic to its characters that you wouldn't always think that a film like this would be sympathetic to. Mm-hmm. When, I'm, when I say this, I mean Cor- Coraline's mom. Um, yeah. So her relationship mm-hmm. with her real world mom is so good, because um, at the start of the film, you're almost you're very much on Coraline's side. Oh yeah, I would say because mm-hmm. the mom has no time for her. You know, go away. You're annoying me. She's very blunt. Yeah, she yeah. like says like these these things that are just not great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't have time for you, Coraline. Go unpack your things. You have a lot of unpacking to do. Mm-hmm. That sounds exciting. <laughs> <laughs> but then by the end of the film, you are able to sympathize with Coraline's mom, mm-hmm. and they have a very nice moment yeah. uh, where earlier when they were at the clothing store, Coraline had seen a pair of gloves that she wanted, and the mom's like, no, we're not getting those for you. Um, at the very end of the film, the mom kind of like, you know, sneakily like slips them into Coraline's bed when she's tucking her in and kind of smiles mm-hmm. at her. And it's like, oh, that's a really sweet moment. And, like, you can tell that she really does love Coraline. She was just having a bad day. Or a bad week. Yeah. I mean, moving is stressful. Moving is stressful. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I I moved, like, let me think. I've moved five times. To... I've never moved, but I've cleaned out a garage, and let me tell you, I didn't experience much joy with my parents on that day, (laughs) so I can't imagine moving houses. Okay, I I went to three different schools and moved twice um, during my entire, like, high school career. So, like, I I moved, like, three-quarters of the way through my freshman year, and then I moved at the end of my sophomore year, and then uh, I finished up. Uh, high school in Texas. So, like, st- yeah, moving is stressful. I did not keep friends for very long. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think yeah. they also do a really good job, at least in one scene where I'm almost, I kind of get why the parents are so, like, kind of done with her sometimes. Because there's a scene where uh, she goes in to check on her father, and yes. he's clearly working, and, like, he's, like, says, oh, hi, Coraline, and he kind of engages with her a little bit, and he's like, I gotta work. And then he, like, keeps working, and she just stands there, like, swinging on the door, creating this really obnoxious creaking sound, and you just <laughs> see it really grating on him. And even me, by the end of that scene, I'm like, hey! He's like, hey, Coraline, can you go play somewhere else? I'm like, I kind of get it, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But, like, I, I love that this movie is kind of... Again, trying to find balance, like, where, mm-hmm. like, okay, so she's clearly not happy in this world where she is ignored for a lot of this opening scene, and they, I don't think they treat her great in, at, at the beginning, and I do understand why she wants to escape, but then you go to the exact opposite, where they do nothing but shower her with everything she could ever want, and affection, and, ev- like, she wants for nothing, she, uh... Doesn't have to challenge herself. Essentially, mm-hmm. she this is just a fantasy, and then she goes back to the world where her parents start to kind of 
do both where, like, Coraline understands why there needs to be, like, limitations to what she can do. Because, like, her mother says, like, well, she's like, I can't get you these gloves, Coraline, and Coraline's my other mother would, and she's like, well, then she should pay for them. Because, like, in the real world, there are, you have to pay for things, you have to be responsible, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But also, in the real world, you have to, you have to set your priorities, and you Mm -hmm. can't always do everything for the people you love, but sometimes you can, you can do enough to show them that you still care about them, which is why she does end up buying her the gloves. Yeah, I love, I love the scene where they're in the car after they've gone and picked up her uniform, and she's like, you know, uh, moving is hard and everything, but, like, you know, it, it's going to get better. You know, you're going to go to school and you're going to make lots of friends and, you know, things are going to be better for for you, I'm sure of it. And, like, Coraline just kind of, like, shuts her down because, like, she's already experienced this, like, you can have whatever you want kind of thing from the other mother. And so, like, it's, like, gotten in her head that, like, you know, she should have everything she wants at that point. But, like, there, there's, like, an actual, like, you know, like, sympathy and, like, um, like... Negotiation, kind of. Well, it, she's also trying to connect with her, is what I'm trying to say. It's, like, she... she like, the, the real mom just, like, you can tell she loves her kid. And, like, but it's, yeah... Like, her job is hard, and, like, moving is hard, and trying to get back on their feet after moving is hard. Well, and, and Coraline's like, at a really difficult age, where I assume she's right, like, right around 13, 14? 12. Yeah, 12. That's kind of the age where you start to learn what empathy is, mm-hmm. and you really screw up a lot. Like, I, I remember when I was, like, at 12, and I was, I was very selfish, I was very rude to a lot of people, because yeah. I just, I was learning how the world works, mm-hmm. um, and I was understanding what other people have to go through because I was only focused on, like, my problems and what I was experiencing and trying to process that. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of have to learn through a lot of trial and error. Like, you realize your actions have consequences, your words do affect the people around you, especially your parents. Like, that's also the time you realize your parents are are human beings. And you can either reconcile that, like, okay, they're people, they screw up, well, we can work through this and we can get better, or you can go the opposite direction and it's like, wow, these people suck. I don't ever <laughs> want to interact with them again. And sometimes, you know, that's, I know, sometimes that's okay. <laughs> but I think in this one I like that it, it confirms that it's it's a lot more complicated than you think mm-hmm. it's going to yeah. be when you reconcile with when your parents don't necessarily do what you want yeah. them to do. And, like, you're not wrong, entirely wrong either, but you have to talk it out. you got to mm-hmm. connect with them. You can't just escape from them forever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really love this movie because I didn't, like, there's, like, a, a million different things I love about this movie. Like, n- no lie, but, like, I, I love this movie because not only is it, like, a fantasy, but it, it's also, like, the moral is, like, being an adult is hard and it happens to everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it... Like, you know, you just, I, I love it. I love it. And I don't think being an, I don't think they imply that being adult, an adult means you have to shut out this fantasy world. No. I think being an adult means that you have to bring the best elements from this fantasy world back with you mm-hmm. to share and help brighten your life, but also the life of people around you. Because, can I spoil it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. At the end, they it. have a garden party with all the neighbors and the parents, and Coraline kind of uses what she learned in this this kind of nightmarish but also dreamlike world to like get her parents to start like gardening and like learn to empathize with her neighbors and kind of see that they're interesting people and like I think what is it she says Mr. B's not a drunk he's a he's a performer or something like that um, he's eccentric yes he's eccentric so like even though this this world was not where she belonged she Mm -hmm. still took something from that to to make her own life better and I just think that's really cool because like being an adult doesn't necessarily mean you have to shut out all of, all of the, the, I don't, I don't want to say, it's really hard to say this, um, all the bad things that happen to you, but, because, like, sometimes bad things happen, and, like, there is no good reason, there's no purpose for it, it's just bad, Mm -hmm. but you can also, it shows that bad things can happen, but you are stronger, and you can learn, and you can make the world better, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, what is it, there's an old saying where it's like, um, 
the world was cruel to her, but it only made her kind. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that saying. And that's not saying, like, you should just take it. Because Coraline doesn't just take it. She fights back, mm-hmm. and she wins. But she's also kind at the end. And mm-hmm. I love that. I love that so much. I think, like, my thing is, like, I don't know, going back to the adult thing, because I have more to say on that. Yes. Um, the, be, being an adult is hard, not because, like, you have to give up, like, childish things, but, like, because it's hard to divvy up your time into places where you obviously want to have your attention when there are other things that need to be done. And it, this, like, happens within, like, a week, right? Pretty much. Yeah, so, like, in a week's time, like, things have gotten better already, um, despite the fact that, like, there was a, an evil skeleton seamstress spider witch living in a, a, an alternate dimension in your house. Mondays, <laughs> but, am I right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, like... You know, not everyone's going to have time for you, and that's okay. Because in the end, they're still going to care about you. You know, it's not, you know, it's not the end end of everything if, like, you know, you don't get attention for a week, you know. It it happens, (laughs) especially as an adult, and especially as someone who's in college. I have so many things to do, and I don't have a lot of time to hang out with friends. Except now. This is a good, <laughs> this is a good moment. I'm hanging out with friends, and I'm doing a podcast. Um, but there's there's not always a lot of time to, like, you know, sit down, have a conversation, and, like, have fun with people, because there's other things that need to be done first, and that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And... I'm I'm glad that Coraline learns that lesson. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I agree. And sometimes, like, the things that you don't appreciate for what they are, like Coraline is always talking about like, how YB's so annoying and stuff like that. And in the other world, the other mother says, "I fixed him, and he can't talk anymore." And that's just so entirely creepy because other world YB is a wonderful character. But I think he's a goth king, but I think he also shares the same traits as regular talking YB. And it's kind of insane when you think about how people's identities are shifted around Coraline and that robs them of somewhat of their authenticity and it ends up kind of destroying them. Like, look at her, her other other world father, who is the creepiest part of this movie for me (laughs) because he does seem to really care about Coraline genuinely, unlike the other mother who, like, seems to want to eat her. (laughs) And, um, just the dad keeps trying to, like, warn Coraline, but also in a way where he's not really warning, he's more just stating facts. Mm -hmm. Like, he's just accepted it at this point. Like, when he's like, our power is her power, and uh, something like that. Yeah, but, like, the thing is, like, Everything is trying to get him to shut up, but he keeps telling her. Mm-hmm. So, like, he's obviously breaking some rule in order for her to know something. Mm-hmm. Because I I do think, you know, going, like, going into, like, the doppelganger thing, like, they, they're based off of the, the people in the real world. And so they do have those traits. Um... Actually, I think the mice steal the DNA for her magic. But that's what I think. Because, like, I mean, she sends the mice in to, like, take cheese and lead Coraline around. I mean, they can they can do other things. That's yeah. what I think in my fan theory world. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they, I think they, they, like, actually care about Coraline because they were made to care about her. Um, because they were based off of, you know, people that do care about her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not, that's not something you can, like, erase away from, like, characters, especially, like, if you're trying to make a world where, you know, you want someone to feel welcome and, like, where you want them to stay forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I, I do think that, like, the care that those characters have for her, even though they're not the real but, like, the real people, I, I think it's genuine and that they do care for her and that 
they know what's going on, but they just can't actually really do anything about it because they are under, like, heavy control. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and that's a really interesting aspect of the film as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, also, another creepy part that I've I found scary is, because that's the funny thing, I have seen some sights some sights in some Netflix horror movies that I don't ever want to see again. Oh, but that just... being said, uh, <laughs> but that being said, this film is just as effective with a floppy coat. Oh, with animating a floppy coat. Oh. oh, no, I was... Mr. B. Yeah, Mr. Yeah, B. B. There's a scene after everything, the world twists and starts to become more creepy when Coraline's searching for these lost children's souls, and she, he's just this ragdoll coat that's, like, animated by, by mice, and it's the way it moves and the way it reaches for her and the way it communicates is Marty's doing kind of a prototype ballet of it at here, which I'm sure our podcast <laughs> listeners are greatly enjoying. He moves like a wacky, waving, inflatable arm. <laughs> he does! But, like, scary. Only scary. <laughs> it's like if you saw one of those things at night in the woods. It's like... And it was cosplaying the Babadook. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... It, it moves in such a way that it's, like, very floppy, but, like, at moments it will, like, stiffen out and reach for you. And it's, like, really scary. Mm-hmm. And my favorite my favorite thing is, like, you're just a copy of the real Mr. B. And then, like, the voice distorts and he goes, not even that anymore. And then, like, just a million rats fly out of his coat. <laughs> so it's, like, it's extremely creepy. Like, I didn't think about it being creepy when I was younger, but, like, watching it now, I'm like, well, this is in- incredibly freaky. And I don't know how little me sat through this. (laughs) I think what I used to do when I was a kid was I was focused on the goal, not necessarily the obstacle, which is Coraline's doing that in this scenario because she's focused so much on getting the item that she's not really letting herself get distracted by Mr. B. And I think since we're taking Coraline's perspective, and usually when I was younger, I would would kind of focus on that too. It's like, doesn't matter, just get the thing. And now, as an adult, you kind of have to be aware of all these dangers around, and you know you can't just get the thing all the time because, oh, yeah. life is spooky, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. You come across a car inflatable boy in the middle of the night, you don't know what he's gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we're getting close to uh, our time limit here. Yeah. But mm. is there anything? Actually, okay, I have something, and I want to add real fast because we haven't brought up the old lady lesbians yet. The- Yes, so mm. Coraline's downstairs neighbors are these two old ladies. They're lesbians, and they used, they used to, to be, be like, performers. Yeah, they were like burlesque like, performers, too, yeah. weren't they? They, like, they're did like, some... Oh, my God, there's, like, f- oh, almost full-on boobs in this movie. Yeah, yeah and, and like, there's literally just old lady nipple boobs. pasties. Nipple pasties. Like, in the other world, the, I, the other forcible is wearing nipple I still don't know how they got away with that in a kid's movie. Yeah, I don't know either. It's I think like, it's because they animated it in such a cartoonish way that it's clearly supposed to be, oh, like, funny yeah. and charming. Well, that and the nipple pasties, I mean... I mean, we see a lot of butts in movies nowadays. Like, the yeah. minions are, don't... They, like, have nothing... They're like a Tic Tac, but with a butt. <laughs> and I don't understand why. <laughs> I'd much prefer old lady weird boob pasties to a Tic Tac with a butt. <laughs> I agree with you. Um, At least one of them is grounded in reality. And just like they're just owning it. They, oh, they are yeah, so confident. No, they're so proud. Yeah. They're so proud of their bodies, and I love it. And I, yeah, and their show is fantastic. I would yeah. pay money for that. And and they're yeah. adorable too. They argue all the time, but oh. in like a cute old married couple way. Uh-huh. You know what? We also haven't talked about the spirit children. <gasps> Ooh. Which, like, these kids that the other mother has eaten and their, their spirits are trapped in the other world, and so, like, Coraline has to do a scavenger hunt to find her parents and the they call them the eyes, but they're like little ball, like balls. They're like objects that represent yeah. them. Kind of. Like, um, one's a ball, one's like a... A pearl a or pearl something. Or something like and then that. the other one is um, like the top of like a uh, a stick shift. 
and that's the Huck Finn kid. And then the pearl is the the little girl with all the curly hair. And then the ball, like the that the circus mice have. That's YB's grandma's sister, yeah. right? Yeah. That's that's YB's great aunt. Mm-hmm. Um, I and they're, they're so polite too. They're like, "You saved us, Miss. Yeah. Thank you so much. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> you saved Christmas. Why are you taking our Christmas tree? Why?" <laughs> <laughs> You went full Cindy Lou Who. I went full Cindy Lou Who because those kids would get along. You they know would. It. Yeah. They're like I just they're like the magical children who are just very happy to be saved, and I like that. They're mm-hmm. so nice. You're in terrible danger, girl. Yeah. I, I love that she says girl. Like, <laughs> I think that was the one. Like, I remember that from the trailer too. And I wonder if someone in the studio said, "You're not appealing to a modern audience," so they just put that in there. <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> see, I can be hip. To the children. See? <laughs> yeah, I'm hip to the Java beans. The Java beans. The the chillins. The chillins. Chillin' with the chillins. The chillins. They're chillin' right. because they're ghosts. Yes. They have no pulse. <laughs> but yes, it also provides stakes to the story because one thing I think a lot of movies get wrong is they want they want to... It's like they want to make sure it has a happy ending, but they don't realize that bad things can happen along the way and you can mm-hmm. still have a bad, happy ending. Like... These kids are dead. These kids are dead. That's upsetting. Yes. But, like, it still, like, works in the story and is appropriate for children because it provides stakes and it still frames it as, like, well, we can still help them find peace. Mm -hmm. Like, there's Mm -hmm. still a... I I, I don't want to say a solution for death, but I guess that's what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's it's putting the soul to rest, really. It's, Mm -hmm. like, making, making sure, like, these children are not in a place of uh, evil as well, their final resting place. Yeah, it also takes away any last remaining bit of power from the other mother, mm-hmm. because, like, mm-hmm. you know, if even if Coraline had escaped at the end, but, you know, but if she had left the ghost children behind, it's like, well, the other mother still has all these victories, and she still won something, so I think it makes Coraline's victory feel more complete that, like, not only does she save herself, but she saves all these other kids, too. And her parents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yep. her parents. Coraline's cool. You Coraline. know, she's a great mm-hmm. hero. And I love it because also she... I love it when heroes are the one who ca- ones who cause the conflict. Because Coraline did... She chose to go into that room, mm-hmm. and she she caused this to happen, but she also solved it. And I love it because it makes our hero that much more complex and makes me feel that much more engaged because now she has to take responsibility and she has to go go solve it because she's the one I got us into this mess dang it and I'm gonna get us out mm-hmm. and that's why I love like spider the spider-man movies because like again Spider-Man. the responsibility is Peter usually causes the thing so Peter's got to solve the thing and I just I love mm-hmm. that but oh god Coraline's just so good it so is. good and then the uh, so like, good. at the end, you think everything's good now, but, like, she has to get rid of the key, and then, like, the other mother's hand, like, claws out of the the hole, and, like, it's just a thing in needles, and it just, like, runs around. And, and that's like, a straight-up horror movie trope, like, that, uh, that, like, you think, you think the villain's gone, but they're back for one last scare. Mm-hmm. But, um... It's like, okay, honestly, when I was little, that was the only part of the movie I was scared of, was that her hand comes out and like runs around and like pulls on her like the chain that she has the key on like that's around her neck and is like gonna throw her into the well to get the key off of her and the hand is like this weird hybrid of like bone and metal yeah fingers almost look like needles well they are needles she's made up of like a bunch of different Mm. pieces of so like yeah because she sews eyes onto the children to like Mm -hmm. Um, which th- is a very terrifying image that they also don't get graphic about. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. if it were just a straight-up horror movie, they'd get graphic, and I mm-hmm. think that would take away from mm-hmm. the effect. Yeah. Whereas, like, leaving it kind of myster- mystery and shrouded in this this uncertainty makes it so much more scary. Because mm-hmm. you're like, how does that work? And they're like, we're not going to tell you. And that's so like, oh, you're leaving it up to my imagination? Oh, dang it. Well, but also, good job. Well, obviously when you say sew buttons onto your eyes, like, in an adult, that's going to conjure up some, like, really painful imagery. But in a kid, it's like, oh, they're just going to put buttons here. 
and like you know, like as a kid you don't think about like you know there's a needle and thread and they're gonna stab the needle in you a million times to attach this thing to your face and I think there you used know? to be an old saying about like how people would put pennies over people's eyes when they died so yep. that they could like pay the toll to get into well, heaven so I'm it's not... interesting that like that imagery is replaced with with buttons because you can't pay the toll to get to heaven with buttons you're yeah. stuck yeah um I don't I I remember like the pennies thing but I don't like to, I don't remember if it's like pennies to get into heaven but like I remember in like Greek myth it was it, you stick a drachma under their tongue and so when they die they can pull the drachma out and hand it to the the ferryman at the river sticks mm-hmm. I I don't remember what the thing is with the pennies I I assume it's something similar but I don't remember um but yes what do you think your soul item would be my soul item? Yeah, mine is Ooh. seasons one through seven of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That oh my I god! <laughs> I don't think that'll fit into an orb. I will make it. <laughs> um, That's what my dad told me when I went to college. I think mine would probably be like, I have two. One of them is like, so I have it like, I found a marble the other day at the gas station, and it's like this like. It's got, like, this ribbon of, like, red right down the middle. And, like, it was really pretty and shiny. And since I'm a magpie, I just picked it up and put it in my pocket. Um, so, either mine would either be a marble or an opal, I think. Ooh, an opal. Yeah. I like shiny. Oh, I don't know. I, guess, I, I think mine might be, like, some sort of seed. I like plants. Mm-hmm. So... Um, okay, I think that about wraps it up. Um, are we getting, like, I know in some of them, of the Ink Tank that I've listened to, they give it, like, a rating. Yes. Ooh, yeah, let's rate it. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) We've done it. We did it. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10 would watch again. Yeah. We'll watch watch again. again. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I've seen this movie about 20 times. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thanks, Laika. Oh, God. I I haven't seen Box Trolls yet, but, uh, if, oh. Kubo's so good too. Like oh, that's Kubo's also another totally ten out of ten. The thing with Box Trolls is that it's fine. It's not astounding like the other, uh, the other like movies have been so far. Kubo is amazing. Paranorman is amazing. Coraline is amazing. Box Trolls is fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I, it wasn't. It just wasn't as good in my opinion. It, not not compared to, like, Coraline, which, like, catches me every time, or, like, Paranorman that makes me cry every time, or Kubo that makes me cry every time. Mm-hmm. Um, Kubo. But, but it's good. That's yeah. all I got on it. I still haven't seen it either, but, you know, someday soon I will. Mm-hmm. I um, like boxes. I like trolls. So, one could assume I like box trolls. I, mean, I think that's a fair yeah. assumption yeah. to make. I don't know. They kind of remind me of the Minions, only a little more sophisticated. And that's about all I got on it. Uh, this is not helping me like box trolls. <laughs> I said more sophisticated, so... I am very interested when Ink Tank gets around to Despicable Me. Yeah. The uh, series. Like, I wonder if they'll do it all in one fell swoop or if they're going to go one at a time. If they do one at a time, they are the bravest souls on Earth. And y'all should donate to them on Patreon, which you should do that yes. anyway. Yes. Yeah, Lunar Light Studio has a Patreon, and donations start at just $1 a month. You get access to special bonus content and extra episodes and outtakes and cool things like that. Mm-hmm. So please sponsor us on Patreon. We have some secret episodes of uh, of our podcast. I know Cryptic Keeper just did a uh, secret uh, spoiler-heavy episode about the movie Us. Which, Coraline is just the kid movie version of us, in my opinion. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Which makes it even better, honestly. <laughs> yes. Um, also, just make sure to uh, follow the other Lunar Light Studios podcasts. Um, like I said, we ha- they have a Patreon. There's The Cryptid Keeper. There's Netflix and Co. That's us. There's uh, Badvertising. Uh, there is... What you call it. Good Boys Girls. Overwitch. Mm-hmm. Storyboard. Super Bootleg Podcast 7. <laughs> and all sorts of other podcasts. That and Artificial fill... Ghost Radio. Yes. All sorts of podcasts that, that fit all of your 
podcast listening needs. You can follow them on Twitter at Lunar Light Studios, and they have a website. Uh, yeah, their Twitter is Lunar Light HQ. Lunar Light HQ. Thank you. <laughs> you could, and the website is lunarlightstudio.com. Mm-hmm. I think you can find this podcast at at Ink Tank. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then you can find our podcast, our OG podcast that we come from, that we hail from. Mm-hmm. Uh, Netflix and Kill. That's Netflix underscore in underscore kill. We do get into some more spooky, uh, yes. terror. Not more spooky. Just uh, more maybe more gory sometimes. Yeah, some yeah. more R rated. Yeah, some more adult content. Some more swearing. Yeah, that's yeah. A, not but, inherently better content. This movie again is my favorite one we've watched for a podcast yet. Yeah. we did all give it a ten out of ten. It's so. a ten. Out would watch again and again and again and again and again and again and again. If the other mother's world had Coraline and this world did not, I'd stay in there and get my eyes soaked. Strong endorsement. All right. Even though like she's showing you a movie about how she's bad, you're like, you know, I'm gonna stay here. This is some Matrix level stuff. Studio. Pretty, witty, and gay.